You're listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast, where we explore the connection between a fit body and positive mental health. And our big mission, it's to help 10,000 runners to develop fitter minds in the next two years. I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to this episode of the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast. Today, we have the privilege of talking to Marcus Shah. This was a fascinating conversation because Marcus is one of those runners that guides vision impaired runners. Many of us have seen them in races we've competed in, but we don't know much about it. So this is a fascinating conversation. Enjoy. Today on Fit Mind, Fit Body, I am delighted to introduce you all to Marcus Shah, who I have never met until today, I don't think, although often the way running is and we have mutual friends who run, we may have been at an event at the same time or something. But Marcus, welcome. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Nice to be here. I said earlier, thanks for being so brave to jump on a call with someone that that I'm not sure that you've officially met. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) I really appreciate it. Why don't we start with like who you are? Where, where did you grow up? All of that kind of stuff. Give us a little background. Things you'd so like my short life story, I'm originally from Switzerland. So born and raised in Switzerland, did Very my cool. schools there. Yeah. Even did one run there when I was about 18 or 19 and it was a disaster. And I never looked into running again until <laughs> I arrived uh, 30 years ago in Australia. Oh, wow. So, so how old I, were you when you left Switzerland? Oh, uh, good question. So when I left for good Switzerland, I was 30. Okay. Yeah. So, and being raised and living in Switzerland was lucky because we always could go traveling, backpacking around the world and come back and mm-hmm. find a job. And, and yeah. so that's what initially what I did. And backpacking ended up in Australia with a backpack on my back and never went back. Like lots of, um, lots of Europeans end up in Australia. That's as backpackers, true. That's so. true. Yeah. Yeah. And in the past, I used to be a dive instructor. Oh. I did that in Switzerland as well. But then diving. when I came to a st- diving, scuba diving. Because yeah. it because like you don't, Switzerland is landlocked. Am I uh, right? It is. Yeah. Uh, it has a lot of lakes. Okay. We do even dive on the ice. Wow. <laughs> in the winter times. In That's the amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and actually Switzerland, just as a side fact, yeah. has the biggest merchant navy in the world of landlocked countries. That's crazy. I have been to Switzerland. I drove through Switzerland. (laughs) I stopped for lunch. Um, But I remember, (laughs) yeah, it's not what I would never have even thought about diving there. But I guess, as you said, lots of lakes to dive in. And the fact, the Navy fact is, um, that's fascinating. It's interesting, yeah. So eventually I ended up in Australia, initially only to visit some friends. And we traveled around in a camper van for a few months and ended up in Cairns mm-hmm. and being on a backpacking backpacker budget needed some money. So I walked into a dive shop and eventually got a job as a dive instructor. And, and that was the end of my travel <laughs> from Switzerland and, and Australia stay. became my new home. Yes. Gosh, there's a massive, in, massive difference exactly. between Switzerland and um, Cairns. And Australia. Yeah. <laughs> or Cairns in spec. Yeah. At the time there was, there was no traffic lights up in Cairns and it was still a bit the Wild West in 91 oh, wow. when I started. But I was lucky speaking French, German, English mm. and a little bit Spanish to get uh, obviously a job over yeah. an Australian dive instructor who only spoke uh, English. Ah. So that was the main reason basically yeah. I, I got that job initially. All those wonderful languages that lots of other countries apart from Australia <laughs> Because we are so, you know, we don't near anybody. Um, We don't seem to have to spread our wings a bit when it comes to languages, do we? That's awesome. So when you were at school, did you, what kind of sport did you do in Switzerland? What does that, is that Uh, skiing? Well, yeah, skiing in winter, (laughs) hockey, ice hockey in winter. Yeah. And uh, normally it was uh, soccer or football, what we call soccer here in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the running was very much limited to the compulsory mandatory running yeah. at school. At school stuff. Uh, uh, yeah. And I, be, I, I remember 
a good friend of mine, he became a real good runner and he took me along for a half marathon once. And I joined him untrained and ended up last, just ahead of a blind runner. And that was it for me. I said, that's obviously not a sport for me. <laughs> and that was probably 40 years ago, almost 45 years ago. Oh, wow. So, so you came to Australia. You were um, mostly diving, instructing. Teaching, diving up in Cairns, yeah. living the good life in the sun. And you decided uh, to stay. And I decided to stay, yeah. Uh, eventually moved down to Sydney mm -hmm. and started. And when I arrived in Sydney, that was actually the pivoting point. I ended up arriving in August in Sydney and just moved into a shared flat and City to Surf was happening. Ah. So I was fascinated by the fact that there's thousands and ten thousands of people doing this run. And I said to myself, well, next year I want to be part of that. That's amazing. And, and that's actually how it started. So what from, year was that? Did you do the uh, So 96. So must have done the first one in 97. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and then so like everybody else living in Bondi Beach at the beginning, when you arrive in Australia as a foreigner. <laughs> yep. So that's how I started running along with, with my flatmates along the coast yeah. to Coochie and did that. Yep. So. And he did that earlier this year in between a COVID thing <laughs> when you could go yes. into Sydney briefly and managed yeah. to run between because I've got a friend who lives uh, at Bronte mm. actually. So we were, um, yeah, had a little run along there. Um, so when, when you decided, was it kind of like a peer thing? Why did you decide, or is it just look like a fun thing or like a goal or like a, you know, oh, that might be fun to have a go at. It's something not too it, far it out was, of it. It was kind of, I mean, coming from Cairns where it was always hot mm. and the running wasn't really a thing people did really up there. It was always too mm. humid and hot, but yeah. I was interested in sports. So when I saw the city to surf, there was something I, I said to my flatmate, I said something you have to try next year. And so we all kind of then committed Doing to start that. training ah. and joined up. And because we lived at the finish line down in Bondi Beach, it was then kind of a, it was a attractive and B, we could yeah. have kind of a after race party at our place Yay. down there. So that's what we then did on a regular basis for years. Wow. And then obviously having done a few city to serves, you needed to kind of upscale. <laughs> and the next thing, was half marathon yeah so running the sydney half in may i think it usually is mm -hmm. a normal year and the aim was because that was the time when sydney became the host of the olympics in 2000 so we yeah. said we want to run the olympic marathon uh -huh. which they opened up to the public for a pre-olympic test race mm -hmm. I think one of those before it was called Black Moors, I believe. Mm -hmm. I lived in so, Sydney during the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> so, I remember yeah. that. It was great times, wasn't it? It was amazing. And and so still the same kind of group of people, friends, we then ran the Sydney Marathon, ending up in Hornbush. Uh, and that kind of that was the ultimate for most of my friends. Did they have like the blue line? Yes. When you did it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and it didn't lines. diverge through a pub? Wasn't that because I remember no, during the Olympics there was a pups. joke that some um, some workmen Somebody had gone out painted and something. diverted the line and, and taken it through a pub. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it was just on the way. I thought it was quite funny. It was kind of um, com uh, was it Olympic game folklore? Whether that actually happened, I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> it was quite funny. Yeah. So you did a, you did your first marathon then in in yes, about so 2000, yeah, and. Uh, then I think we did another one, 2001. And mm. by then the group of about maybe 15 runner friends dwindled down to about two or three serious runners. Yeah. Cause they all, we all, they all, most of us did the marathon and that was kind of, even for myself, it was the ultimate, right? Yeah. Now we are marathoner. Yeah. But then I used, I had a South African girlfriend at the time and she, taught me about that ultimate human race. And Ooh. I said, well, what was that? And so that's the comrades. Yes. Okay. In, you know, in South Africa. Uh -huh. And so 2003, my flatmate and myself, we then 
signed up for the call. 2002, we signed up and 2003, we went and ran it. And, and then somehow, because of all the training invested and, and then enjoying the race itself uh, down in South Africa with millions of spectators and being on TV, it was, it was still now it gives me goosebumps. Did you, you know, did you do the up or the down version? Down. So from Peter down to Durban. Yeah. And uh, and then somehow got hooked on ultra running. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> After that run. <laughs> <laughs> was it what do you think it was? Was it all the preparation and then you know getting that final payday, if you like, at the end, that goal where you cross so. the line I mean, and it's satisfaction? Look, I, I believe for most of us, when we do these kind of runs, when we do the run, I think we always promise ourselves that this was the last one. <laughs> it's always too hard. But what fascinated me all the time was the preparation for it. Okay. The planning, nutrition, all that. Yeah. Being then at the start line is kind of just, you know, the, the sugar on the cake in a way. But the interesting part is actually surviving all the training and keep motivating yourself that journey and actually the run and yeah and after that i was on my own even my friend he actually didn't finish the comrades he he got pulled out because he didn't make one of the yeah, last the cutoffs. Um, yeah. cutoffs. Mm -hmm. and then i was on my own from then onwards oh. so uh in ultra running until i realized there's so many ultra races around and i started signing up for those yeah and it became kind of a more a a reason to also see new places and new mm -hmm. countries. Yeah. So you did a lot than out. just running a race. So I was never really there just to collect medals or new PBs. It was mm -hmm. more than also to obviously stay fit, but also experience experience new places yeah. and, and meet new people. Oh wow, that's awesome! So, what was your work life like? When you started running ultras, what were you so doing? So when after the diving in the Cairns and I came to Sydney, I was working initially for a travel company. Mm -hmm. uh, we were specializing in diving and sailing holidays, which obviously yeah. was my niche. Mm -hmm. And then after the Olympics, or just before actually, I started the same business on my own. So I was actually working from home, having uh, doing a lot of wholesaling travel and overseas yeah. travel. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of word of mouth, people coming from overseas to Australia and I would organize their, their holidays here. So oh, wow. relatively flexible. So I had my time for training as well, because obviously it was my own boss until about 2002 or three, because when did uh, September 11 stop the whole travel thing? Remember? A bit like COVID. So Obviously nobody traveled anymore and I then uh, got a full-time employment with uh, a hotel chain, Accor, mm -hmm. where I was going back to what my other skills, the languages and helping translating all the different websites into German and English and French and all that. Oh, wow. So you still would have had flexibility then if you, that sounds like Definitely. That a job you and could do at home. Yeah, it, yeah, but at the time nobody worked from home. Okay. <laughs> so you still had the nine to five office job at the Forget time. Forget how quickly things uh, have moved, don't yes, you? Yes, yes, uh, quickly things become normal. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, so then it was for a few years, I would have to check actually my, mm. my result list now, but I think it was just ultras you can still hear me? I can, yeah. Yeah, so I was just running ultras, the Glasshouse Mountains, uh, oh, wow. for example, up in Queensland. Yeah. And a few more marathons. And I think the first big trip then was 2008, when I signed up for the Marathon du Saab in Morocco. Oh, how was that? So I was obviously, it was 2007 signing up because I saw a, a something on TV. And what motivated me was it was about a runner who was vision impaired, mm -hmm. who ran the Marathon de Sable with his guide. And I, and I thought to myself, well, if this guy can do it, I can do that. Yeah. And at the time, then my wife just already started shaking her head and said, no, there's no way we're doing that and all that. But obviously, <laughs> we went there. <laughs> we went. And oh, uh, you did and it. it. Yeah. <laughs> 
And the fascinating part there was not only the run itself, but the preparation because that became a multi-stage race. So you so had how, to how far is that, or how many days? So that's seven, uh, six days, two hundred and fifty k's roughly. So, and you obviously have to carry all your own food and sleeping bag and everything. So the logistics yeah. and things are all yeah. that planning yeah. needs to actually probably your your work in travel and, and all of that would have helped with a lot of you know planning for some of those things you would think like the logistics. Yeah, and I reckon also my my background being an hmm. accountant in Switzerland and all that helped okay. as well. I'm still Good. having my Excel sheets for all these races. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep yeah. things in their columns. <laughs> Correct, correct. <laughs> Calculating all the calories and the weights and everything. Wow. Yeah. So do you think you're, you're really analytical with, with at some of that stuff being with the accountant background? I definitely was for what nutrition and all this concerned. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was less bothered about the, the running, the physical aspect, yeah. you know, I just, okay, that's the time I need to run. And, I yeah. wasn't too worried. I, I probably could have been improving my times if I would have trained more specifically mm -hmm. or, or, you know, I'm one of those runners who never warms up at the beginning. I mean, because to me, it always was like waste time. Okay. <laughs> I have to go, I have to go for my one hour run. I don't want to spend another 10 minutes warming up. I, I just have to warm say up during my like run. That as well. I, think <laughs> I totally understand like that. that. <laughs> I do totally understand. In fact, I can remember feeling quite annoyed one time at a 5k race when, um, my training partners go, oh, let's go for a training, like just warm up. And I'm like, oh, okay. And by the time we got back, we'd done like two and a half. I'm like, this is only a 5K race. Why have I just exactly. listened to it? Doing only ultra marathons on big distances. I said, oh, I could time enough to warm up. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's yeah. really true. Yeah. <laughs> so what kind of things are you thinking about in these longer runs? Like, how do you, because it, it's a long time. I mean, just talking about yeah. what, four, yes. five days. So. Uh, well, often because this kind of race is this an international field, so you meet a lot of people, you mm -hmm. talk a lot with other people, and you walk along or you just jog along. Mm -hmm. uh, I never see, I never really, you have all these great ideas when you run, but most of the time when, when you're at the finish, you forgot them. Or they were pretty uh, silly, I find. Or they might have been silly. And <laughs> the, the good thing is, <laughs> yeah. The good thing nowadays is that I have an Apple Watch, so I can tell Siri to put something in the reminder. So whenever I have a good idea now, I just dot it straight down that into my reminder. So then I can follow up after my run, after but my race. Does uh, your and it could be a work related or something else. You know, it doesn't have necessarily have to be running related. Yeah, of course. I often have the good ideas on my runs. Yeah. Done because you're not that. you're not sidetracked by other things yeah do, do you find your apple watch has enough battery power sorry this is a technical uh, for, side question uh, for the current runs i do yes yeah but i was just thinking i don't <laughs> I know that done, my apple watch would last on gps for <laughs> uh, I don't no know. i haven't yeah no well i've done seven hour runs with it so oh, eight wow. hour runs yes yeah, yeah. I've with, only got a with the the gps <laughs> on it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think mine's a bit older. My model, yeah. so I kind of I went to a different sports watch because I used yeah. to get sick of the um, the the GPS taking too long to connect. I was like, I want to, to start connect, running now. Yeah. No, mm. <laughs> and it wouldn't let me start at that time anyway. It was a while ago now. Anyway, <laughs> so that's yeah. pretty cool. I'm glad that you found a way to be able to take notes while you're running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good. Otherwise, you would have had to stop and write it down, and nobody does that. <laughs> so, what's what's been your favorite race that you've done? So it's definitely still the comrades wow. because just of the involvement of the whole nation, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, South Africa, the TV behind it. And so I did that in 2008, no, 2003, the first time. Okay. And then with the Marathon de Saab in 2008, which is predominantly European runners, obviously, mm -hmm. because it's the locality where it is. Yeah. However, we all got encouraged to raise money for a charity. Most European raise money for a local or a Moroccan charity. So, and me still working with Accor, I was not really involved in charities or non-for-profits. And so I started looking and approached a few charities in Australia. And one of them was the Fred Hollows Foundation. Yeah. And, and I thought, oh, they might 
makes sense. I didn't know Fred Hollows Foundation really before that either. Which is, oh. And because I saw this Japanese blind runner running marathon to Serbs, I thought, oh, okay. And also the foundation was very open-minded about this and was very supportive about my run and my fundraising for them, you know? And so I obviously then organized movie nights and dinner nights in conjunction with the Marathon de Saab. And then every future year, I did a run, at least one major run in each calendar year, and I would raise money for the foundation. Wow. And in 2010, so uh, two years after the Marathon de Saab, I decided or my wife and I, we decided to go to South Africa to watch the Soccer World Cup. Uh And it fell onto the same time, like the comrades. So I said, okay, I'm going to do comrades before the Soccer World Cup. (laughs) And I approached the Fred Hollows Foundation and asked them if they could find me a vision impaired runner. Yeah. I could guide for the comrades because one of the challenges I had not even being from Australia, I had a much uh, smaller network of friends. I didn't have any school or university friends, right? Because I never went to school here. So when I fundraised, you always obviously rely on that pool of that network you have. Mm -hmm. And so I had to start doing crazier runs or crazier things to still maintain. To get attention. Get attention and get funds raised through my network. And so that blind runner idea was the reason was to f- raise more money for the foundation. And so they, at the time, foundation had an office in South Africa and they found me a vision impaired runner who, who stream like a lot of South Africans men stream or people stream is to run the marathon, the comrades. Oh. But obviously he couldn't do it because he was vision impaired and never, never had anybody able to guide him mm-hmm. for that long distance. So which then we agreed to do it together. He promised to train in South Africa and I promised to train here and also learn how to guide vision impaired runners. Wow. And uh, so I joined an organization called Achilles International. Uh-huh. They're a New York based group of people who help disabled mm-hmm. people to enjoy the outdoors like we do and yep. provide guides to vision impaired, people with Down syndromes, all kind of disability. And in Sydney, they meet every Sunday morning at the Botanical Garden. And yeah. so that's how I then started running with them and learned how to guide and made friendships with dis- disabled blind people here, which I still now run and guide oh. uh, uh, on those races. The last one I did just on Sunday down in Melbourne guiding a good friend the same person I guided for the comrades in 2010. No he way. moved to Melbourne now. What? And we were we were running a 10K race together uh, <laughs> last Sunday in Melbourne. That's incredible. Yeah. How all that came together. That is awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been in marathons where I've seen, obviously, guided runners. And what is it? I've never thought, I mean, we think a bit about what it's like to be the person who's blind and how, how they're or vision impaired, how that is for them. But what is it like to be the person doing the guiding? So at the beginning, so when, when we trained, they once blindfolded me just to give me that idea about mm. how your different senses then adjust when you can't see anymore. Yeah. Uh, which was being a, a, a able person was a bit daunting because the noise mm. factor became very strong because yeah. you relied on your ears more than your eyes. However, when I run with all those different vision impaired athletes, and some of them lost their vision along over years, some of yeah. them were born blind. Mm-hmm. So they all had a different kind of perception also mm-hmm. of uh, how it is out there. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's just a responsibility you certainly take on uh, running and being the eyes for somebody else. So. I obviously immediately stopped running with uh, headphones on because I used to do that in the past, like especially when you did just long ultra runs for mm-hmm. 20 hours mm. overnight, you, you needed a distraction to keep going. So, mm. but obviously then started guiding vision impaired people. I couldn't do that anymore. 
because mm. you had to keep your ears open and concentrate where you're going. And at the same time, you had to talk all the time. Of course. To tell them, obviously, communicate. communicate with them. Yeah. And, and for the vision impaired person, it becomes a, a trust thing because they really, you know, you try to avoid running them into any poles <laughs> Obstacle. or <laughs> obstacles in general, which most of the time I managed. Well, it's funny because in some of those bigger races, even us vision runners with vision run into things. You know, yeah, like, and we stumble over our own yeah, feet and things exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. So it was a challenge, especially because when I signed up for the Comrades in 2010, I started running, I think it was 29, uh, with the vision impaired people in Sydney. And I got used to the certain people I ran with. But then when I arrived in South Africa, I've never seen Francois before. And he obviously never ran with me before. And we made the day before a 90K race. Holy moly. <laughs> and, and we used to be, obviously, had the tether, the, yeah. the rope between mm -hmm. us two running. But I started the race like I did it with Ben, my other friend here in Sydney. And because we had a relative good speed, I started weaving between the masses of people at the start yeah only to realize that francois got literally seasick because oh, no. i didn't run a straight line oh no so we literally had to wait a bit till we had more space ahead of us and yeah. at the time again it was very new to me this running with vision impaired people we didn't have what they call internally a bulldozer ahead of us so we mm. normally when you do a race with vision impaired runner you would have actually a second guide yeah, who runs I've, in front of you, I've pushing the people, people away. Yelling you know? at you. <laughs> yes, especially when you have in a big run. Have like runners with Marathon. headphones ahead of you. Yeah. So yeah. we try to they try to keep the, the yeah. space in, ahead of us. Yeah. And that's exactly to avoid weaving in and out and around the people. Mm. Wow. So, so I, and I guess another fascination with that uh, is when they're going really fast, like when they're faster runners as opposed to people who are happy to just plot around at, at the back of a pack in a race that seems to create Definitely, another I mean, element of that would have been a different challenge for me as well i i was lucky enough maybe or smart enough to always select vision impaired runners which ran slower than me i was thinking that <laughs> so, would probably be the best um <laughs> approach <laughs> because like, oh, we had we had fast it. runners we had we had paralympians in our groups yeah. in sydney which obviously yeah. a three three minute K was out of question for me. Yeah. So I was happy to plot along at six minute Ks with those yeah. people. So. Wow. Because I needed to talk as well, right? So you always <laughs> wanted to have somebody who's a bit slower than you so you can actually keep mm. up and talk. It makes me think you'd be a good pacer as well. <laughs> like, you know, when in the races they have pacers. That's true, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Being able to do that. Yeah. That's amazing. So that must mean your communication skills are really pretty honed as well. It, it changed my whole approach to running because before it was all about me. It was mm. not, as I said, for really PB, but you still was you were running against yourself and mm. the watch, right? Mm. And the moment you start running with somebody who needs your eyes, mm. the whole focus is on what you're actually looking at. Yeah. And, and, and then obviously helping the person next to you. And even when I run now, uh, during COVID, it has changed again, but for many years, I wouldn't run with headphones on my own. Mm -hmm. I would just run and enjoy the noise yeah. wherever it is. It could be in a park, it could be along the, the sea, or it just could be a traffic noise road you run on. But I wanted to be aware. I wanted to hear what's around me. I didn't yeah. need that music anymore in my head. Yeah, It has changed a bit since lockdown when you were not with anybody and you were mm -hmm. limited to the 5K. So I started putting headphones on again so but i definitely don't need it you're um you're in sydney still you stay yes in yeah in, yeah. In, yeah so still live in sydney yeah but in, what, what work do you uh, do now are you still with a so i the funny thing is yeah so no i'm working for the fred hollows foundation now oh well there you go that makes total sense actually yeah. <laughs> so so after all these years running and fundraising uh, 10 years ago, roughly 11 years ago, they approached me and asked me if I want to come and work for them because I must have done such a good job fundraising. They thought they need somebody like me and here I am still raising money.
Ani, but now working for the foundation. Wow. And I'm looking after the community events, yeah. like the running events, mm -hmm. where we have people running the city to serve or participating in the Melbourne Marathon and raising money for us. So I've eaten their support and help them with their fundraising challenges. That's awesome. So do you find, like it sounded like you're talking about running events there. Do you find, are you in part doing some of that matching? You know, like matching a, a blind runner with, or, you know, a um, vision impaired runner with a, somebody who wants to go. Uh, Does that happen? No, or is that just a different side? It hasn't actually happened to me or and oh, nobody else actually ever approached the foundation because that's asking, what you did <laughs> yes i know that's actually a good question I, no i never heard of it uh there is obviously now with achilles that group yeah. mm -hmm. those people obviously well they have enough volunteers guiding them and mm -hmm. then they would then do the runs so that's why i also stayed involved with them i just mm -hmm. help out and i did uh many races with uh, ben, my friend here in, in Sydney, we did the New York Marathon, we did the Sydney Marathon a few times. Uh, so whose idea is it, yours or Ben's, when, they, when you find uh, the Initially, it was, it was always Achilles. Obviously, they offer that training, but then they obviously also offer those races. That was ah, kind of the goal, right? Yeah. And it was normally City to Surf or Sydney Half or the Sydney Marathon because it's a charity Achilles and they rely on donations so they couldn't travel with 20 people suddenly yeah. outside of Sydney uh, however my friend Ben he was a bit overweight and he wanted to do definitely the Sydney marathon and then some people from Achilles who had some money they paid their own trip to New York mm -hmm. and so Ben said oh I want to do the New York marathon but he wasn't fit for such a run at the time and i said well you know if we if you commit to train i train you and if you commit to lose weight to a certain weight we uh -huh. agree on then we go to new york and we worked very hard we would run four or five times a week in centennial park yeah. so i had to keep it simple obviously you know with a vision impaired person but we did hundreds of thousands of cases, and we made it to new york uh, in wow. 2013 and finished that's in four and a half hours which was incredible that's fast that's for awesome with an impaired person yeah. yeah yeah wow i bet he felt amazing and you both would have but he must have oh, definitely yeah and and during that whole process we actually started running without a tether between us wow so we we were running so often together so we got so used to each other's footsteps and noises and touching each other so we didn't need that, that tether anymore which gave obviously for the blind person ultimate freedom yeah he was running on his own yeah and he just needed to listen to my voice next to him and sometimes i would grab him sometimes i would push him a little bit but yeah. basically he was running he was running on his own vision Gosh, there. So so that was obviously the ultimate actually and it was very uh, satisfactory for me as well because you really could give somebody that freedom yeah. which we take for granted it's goosebump yeah. stuff yeah, yeah, definitely. That's really cool. Priceless so, stuff. Yeah. So, like, you amazing the story to go from, you know, seeing somebody who was blind or hearing about them running, I think it was comrades, you said, way back when. And then eventually, you know, that was why you chose a charity like the Fred Hollows Foundation. And now it's really become your life in it's many like, ways. It's like full circles, you know, there's all this life, there's all circles closing along yeah. the way in a way yeah that's just crazy um, and awesome <laughs> all at the same time yeah. it's funny when you when it's happening sometimes you don't realize just how um much synergy there is that's in, true when yeah you look back yeah. you go whoa yeah, yeah. <laughs> that little thing Definitely. that i did then who's to know that that would turn so many wheels for me in the future so many different yeah little stories inside the story like my friend ben division impaired sydney runner many years couple of years into running with him i found out that fred hollows operated on him when he was oh, a small child that's crazy. which i didn't know before you know it's so it's it's just amazing some of those yeah. six degrees of separations you find out all these things you know that is incredible wow oh i don't even know what to say <laughs> <laughs> about all of that. that's amazing obviously it's become a bit of your life work for sure yes yeah 
yeah. including your work <laughs> and including the work yes yeah, it's, it's, it's all, all part all of it now yeah. Yeah. so what does your running look like these days so Personally. let's say before covid uh, it used to become just kind of helping the achilles group here in sydney or in melbourne francois the south african friend moved eventually to melbourne and we would catch up for a race once a while down there yeah and my goal was still do a, an ultimate ultramarathon somewhere and see a new place. So over those years from 2010 onwards, I would have ran the Simpson Desert, uh, the, the big red run in yeah. 2015. Uh, I would run across Cambodia from Phnom Penh to Siem Reap for seven oh, days. Wow. I've been um, in a bus in that road. <laughs> I know that. I know it might have road. taken you almost as long as it took <laughs> us running. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, so things like that. So normally we agreed, my wife and I, that it's every second year a big run because obviously there's the preparation involved, which means on the weekend you're suddenly running four hours a day. You know, yeah. your weekends are gone in a way. Yeah. And so, what else did I? Ah, oh, the Great Ocean, not the Great Ocean, or the Ocean Alps to Ocean in in New uh, New Zealand ah. doesn't exist anymore. They, they like that? the big red run. They're all 250, five, six day okay. runs. Mm -hmm. And the organizers of those events, they just meant too well and overspent oh. and couldn't keep up with the bills. And those events disappeared after oh, a couple of years, which mm -hmm. is a shame because I was running from the foot of Mount Cook to the ocean over seven days, literally halfway, at least halfway across the South Island was quite fascinating. Wow. And and the Simpson Desert was obviously also a great run mm. and the big red uh, Cambodia. Have you done Lara so, Pinta? Is it Lara Pinta? No, Lara Pinta still is, exists, yeah. Lara Pinta is only a four-day four run. What didn't appeal me, <laughs> yeah, David Williams is doing the Lara Pinta. He likes yes, it, but that. he calls himself an old fart runner already. So <laughs> he, he likes the fact that you go back home and sleep in a hotel yes. after the, the stage. <laughs> and that doesn't sound right to me <laughs> if you do this kind of runs. <laughs> I don't know if you, is it Chris, so. Kristen? Kirsten, Kristen, Maplestone? I I just spoke to someone recently on the podcast yeah. that's not um, not gone live yet, and she's done a lot of those ones in America, like the ones, right, the, yeah. the kinds of ones you're talking about with the multi-day stage, two hundred and fifty miles. Yeah, obviously America will have a lot of those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, the last one, so I looked for obviously more challenges as well, and just before COVID, last February, I did. Uh, Delirious West, I can see that which top. is a, a, a that's a three hundred and fifty k nonstop race. Great. So, <laughs> yeah, you run and you stop when you finish, basically, and you sleep when you need to sleep or eat when you need to eat along the way. Is so it was a delirious race at certain stages. I think she was talking about that one. They were hoping to put that one on again this coming year. It was on this year. It was on this year in Western yeah. Australia because they locked down everybody, but nobody from outside Western Australia could go. Uh -huh. And and the same organizers, they now doing one in South Australia and one here in the Blue Mountains coming next year. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Are you keen for that? So it's a lot of training, 250 miles. So yeah. I don't, I think I've done that. I've, once after, after I've done this, this one here, I think I, <laughs> I saw my limits. <laughs> <laughs> so you so, so what do you see in your future for your running how does your running? uh i think it is going to be just shorter mm -hmm. distances, which means like a half marathon or a marathon okay. yeah and um maybe also go back a little bit more and help the guys at achilles out and guide people because there's a lot of runners there who just are limited because they don't have enough guides who can run the long distances. Yeah, that's that's a challenge for this, for most of the vision impaired people because mm. we all can run a city to surf and we don't really need to train for that kind of event. But mm. as soon as you talk marathon, definitely you need mm. to train and then 
uh, a lot of times the Achilles, the vision impaired people, they lack the guides who can support them along the way for a, mm -hmm. for a marathon. Yeah. So probably go back into that a bit more and probably my niece will be grateful as well for that. <laughs> so, so at the moment without, you don't have a particular goal right now that you're training for? I need, no, no. And I need one to start training. Ah, so that that's, was another question. The, Are you goal that's focused? That's my thing. I, yeah, I need, I need a race. I need to have paid a race mm -hmm. uh, at the entry fee before I actually can commit to train. I go at the moment because you asked me what, what it looks yeah. like today. I just go for my 10K runs at lunchtime from home because at the moment we're working still from home, Yeah. the foundation. And I just do my runs maybe three, four times a week, maybe... Yeah a 90 minute, two hour run on the weekend. Yeah. Just to keep fit, just to keep the engine warm. Just to keep ticking over. Yeah, yeah. keep ticking over. But uh, I'm looking forward to next year. I hope that we kind of come back, go back into normality and we can go yeah. and do those races again. Because yeah, that was amazing. another another uh, drawback was the people we couldn't go in those mass events and mass starts for the last two years. So. Do you, How do you... Yeah. What do you think when you look back and you remember when you went in the race when you were younger and you only just beat the blind person <laughs> that you were saying back in Switzerland? Uh -huh. What do you think about that person now? What would you tell that person, do you think, you when you were younger about running? Well, uh, I would never have or I would, I would always prepare for <laughs> any kind of run yeah. and not just go and think that at 20 you're invincible yep uh, that definitely that's the price you pay and i think that's the price any of us pays if we're not trained enough yeah any run so yeah uh it was a it was at the time just not my interest to run basically yeah. i would say yeah. so i just did it uh, and i think a lot of us start running when we get older mm -hmm. especially the long distance kind yeah. of runners you know we all in the, 30 plus why do you think that is? why do you think we come at it when we're older i reckon we we over all the friday and saturday night drinking escapades and <laughs> we've got three weekends actually actually have no headaches on a saturday or sunday morning and can go for a run <laughs> you see lots of people going home i know on your early exactly. sunday morning yeah, runs. that's right what? yes yes <laughs> i wonder where you've been <laughs> It's quite a common yeah. thing, isn't it? <laughs> and it's always actually comical when I have to describe to Ben what I'm seeing along Oxford Street when we go on our training runs, of course. You know, yeah. he wants to know what's happening. You have to ex uh, describe the people coming out of those clubs and what they wear and where they're going and how they look and things like that. That would be very entertaining, actually. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you find, are you running mostly by yourself now? Like if you're not training with um, a vision? At the moment, life? yes. Yeah, because... Uh, the whole COVID was very challenging for vision yeah, impaired Sydney, people because well. remember they have to touch things to actually move of along, course. right? Yeah. So yeah. they actually were really in a self-imposed lockdown for almost two years now. Ouch! And and Ben, who lived on his own in Sydney, but moved back to his dad in Kiama. So I haven't seen him for almost two years now Gosh. because he was just on his own, and we were all in lockdown, and mm -hmm. it was just too challenging for him. Mm. on his own uh, so he went back and has some support with his family mm -hmm. so he hasn't been running literally for two years Achilles has been closed down for most of the all the lockdown all the 5k bubble time they, mm -hmm. they, were, not, they were not able to have training mm -hmm. and have people coming because the people come from all over Sydney for this Sunday morning yeah. run so that's the other thing as well the yeah. other channels yeah mm -hmm. so so yeah looking those, forward like to go back to you know, when mm, everyone's talking exactly. about a lockdown, you often, like every day now we hear of why it's it's impacted different organisations yeah, or, yeah. or just people in and different ways. Uh, as, as you mentioned very early, it's a challenge, a mental mm. challenge as well for these people, you know, and for us. I mean, I, I know every back alley now of Botany and 5K <laughs> radius. <laughs> when you I explored did my, your home. <laughs> completely, completely. Yeah. Well, Because I, I tried to avoid running along the main streets anyway of the noise yeah of course mm. we're um, we're lucky in in tasmania <laughs> because mm. we haven't had that much lockdown um we're That's very true, fortunate yeah. but most of us have family and friends 
on the mainland in Melbourne and yeah. in Sydney where it's been the worst. Yeah. Well, Tasmania is a lovely place to run. I mean, uh, they told me about it. I did the Cradle Mountain once, the ultra marathon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's one that I've always yeah. wanted to do. Yeah. And I even got yeah, myself a, under a, a four-hour marathon so that I could. And then they changed the rules to you had to also have done a, <laughs> a like a, what was it? At that point, you had to do a trail ultra or something. And then I had to, anyway, <laughs> no. I was like, okay, I just had, I had a couple more kids instead. <laughs> Which is like running around. They keep you running too. Right. You're running around too, do they? Exactly. It's a bit crazy, really. And now, of course, the thing um, fills up in five minutes or something very quickly yeah. when it goes yeah. online. Yeah. So, like so many of these kind of iconic yes. places, and notice yeah. they just it's vanish. You know, it makes it very elite mm. kind of events now. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when you have like the six foot track was also one of the races I would have done a few times. Yeah. And, and now with the, you need to qualify, you need to be a previous runner to get in and all that. So, so like, uh, it makes it, yeah, it's a shame because it's an, uh, eventually it's always the same people who end up going there because they run the right times for it. And, yeah. and uh, for example, Melbourne Marathon has a very bad reputation as an organizer because they don't allow uh, vision impaired runners or guides anymore for free. Well, so usually when you have a, a vision impaired runner, mm. one of one of them is free. The guide is normally free, and we don't really need a medal. You know, we're not running yeah. it for the medal. Yeah. And uh, Melbourne Marathon is now charging the guide the full price, uh, and so oh. and, and the guide the full price. Wow, that's a bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they have changed a changed mount. I think they had changed uh, management <laughs> in the last few years. It seems a bit different. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. I know there was a lot yeah. of people a little bit um, stressed over, especially down here in Tasmania, who wanted to go and do the marathon. And the, mm. it took a long time to say whether it was delayed or not delayed or yeah. Yeah. rescheduled and things. So anyway, I, get, I, I imagine it's quite challenging at this time. <laughs> For, it is, yeah. For event and, holders as well. Well, definitely. You know, we we at front the Federalers Foundation, we uh, tried to organize our own physical walking walking event. It's not a race as such. Yeah. But obviously 2020 and 2021, we didn't get the permits or it wasn't it wasn't possible to help those events. A lot of those charitable runs and events also became virtual events. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we did our 50 or 100k challenge over a month at home or yeah. in the backyard mm -hmm. uh, but i think that's all going to change next year again hopefully yeah, yeah. fingers crossed yeah. <laughs> yeah. so yeah. marcus when do you think you called yourself a runner can you remember You've been running a long time uh, i think uh, i think uh, doing those marathons in around the 2000s then yeah. we, we considered ourselves runners because yeah. by then we would you know have our regular training runs during the week to yeah. the do kuchi return runs and all that and it was always we were we were a group of runners yeah. i think that's when we considered ourselves as runners definitely once it becomes a, a regular habit almost yeah i would think that then yeah i think it's uh, quite different uh, ultra runner that once you think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Then there's of course the ultra running thing, like you were going to say, which is a whole yeah. other. Well, that's then a, that's a different level then. <laughs> that's right. You that's when I was some... on my own because nobody else wanted to run with me anymore. They all <laughs> thought that was crazy. You remember you get the marathon. I think you hinted at it earlier. You get the marathon, you think, oh, I've done it, and then you realise yeah. you're just at the bottom of another very tall mountain, <laughs> which is called exactly. ultra running. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what? Yeah. I mean, nobody told me that. <laughs> anyway, um, it just gives us something else to aim for, I suppose. <laughs> and I mean, con I mean, you you must know that as well. But it's amazing how it has changed over the last. Well, it's now almost twenty years, where an ultra run or an ultra marathon was a, a unique thing, and and a handful of people would have done it, right? Mm -hmm. And and now it's almost, you know, everybody has to go and does it. And so yeah. that's why they become so elite as well and hard to get in in many, many uh, places. And at the same time, some of them become very dangerous because they're badly organized because yeah. people also realize that they can make money out of those events. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's, 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 the, that's a, 
dark side of him as yeah. well. Because yeah. you have to have good organizers to protect the people during those five, six day runs, you know. It's quite, um, it's quite a dangerous thing to do, really, isn't it? Mm. And so all those individuals who signed up for an event are under your care. Having exactly. I've been an event organizer, so I know that mm. the stress of and an, um, yeah. an ultra, only 50K ultra, mm. um, but a trail one in, in remote parts yeah. of Tasmania where... Um, where it would be hard to say if someone hurt their hurt themselves, hurt getting themselves, to them is yeah. not easy. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, there's a lot of things we don't see normally as a runner, mm. what goes on behind the scene, especially for those ultra or those multi-stage runs. Yeah. And yeah. and then want to work there. Yeah, exactly. And you can suddenly realize, well, that's why an event like this costs two and a half or three thousand dollars to participate. Yeah. As well. And all yeah, those big exactly. ultras. Because there is a lot. To yeah. pay for to keep yeah. you safe uh -huh. probably to do it i don't know much about the multi-day ones the staged ones but i can imagine that the planning you would want to have say two or three people in your you know the the people who are going to be at the aid stations and that for every runner you know technically over say three or four days you want to be thinking about it like that when you're thinking about resourcing numbers of people mm. Or you need to have the doctors there. on wheels, yeah. basically, with yeah. Land Rovers, helicopters yeah. in the desert. You know, exactly. we had helicopters in yeah. Simpson Desert in, in Morocco. Yeah. So, so it's a lot of infrastructure yeah. and logistics behind yeah. it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Anyway, back to um, back to you and your running. The mm. um, Have you had an injury? That's a question I tend to ask a lot of people. So have you had many injuries um, that brought you out? Because long distance. Thanks God, no. No, I never really had. And that's amazing. Uh, one of the things is I never felt that competitive that I had to push myself so hard. Okay. And I, being from the diving and as a dive instructor, yeah. you, you become aware of what about your body, you know, and, and, and you listen, or well, I always listen to my body. Mm -hmm. So I, I would rather not do my 20k run because it's on my excel sheet to do mm. and stay home and have a bottle of wine and a pizza if it feels better wow. than doing that 20k just that i can tick off the 120 k's a week mm. i should do yeah and i had one injury which never really stopped me from running which was very about two or three months before my marathon the Saab. Mm -hmm. I had knee problems yeah. and I got uh, diagnosed with the torn meniscus mm -hmm. and one of the doctors here said, obviously we have to operate and you know, forget about Morocco and forget about Marathon de Sable and said, no, I can't, you know, uh, so I went, uh, yeah, so I went to another doctor <laughs> who, who did all the rugby players of the Swans, Sydney Swans and all this, I can't remember his name. <laughs> and he said, well, Marcus, you know, at your age, you shouldn't run a hundred Ks every week. Uh, I can operate, but that doesn't really change anything. Wow. Uh, so, you know, what I can give you today is anti-inflammatories. So you can go to Morocco and do that stupid race, but then maybe think about, you know, back about the future. Exactly. Yeah. And I started managing it that way. I, I never actually had an MRI scan anymore for mm -hmm. my knees. I never had an operation to have my meniscus operated. Wow. <laughs> and I started taking some supplements like the uh, green muscle extracts and mm -hmm. i've just started reading up on all these kinds of yeah. things and touch wood still running wow and i awesome? literally never really had a bad injury which would have put me out of action for months or weeks mm -hmm. yeah, like other how, people my friends had how do you think you would respond if you couldn't run like it's one thing to not like to listen to your body and your body says no have a glass i reckon of wine you should instead. ask my wife that question <laughs> <laughs> she so would there, know <laughs> there's been circumstances in your life where you haven't been able to go for a run for, for reasons beyond your control. yeah or other reasons yeah or maybe you know you, you obviously get the flu or some other mm. illness or, or the weather doesn't allow you mm. to run uh, then i'm getting restless and yeah you know bit of a mood so, um, I, I, yeah it affects your mood because for me the running is is a, a way of just relax you know yeah instead of turning on the TV and chill for an hour or two, I just go for a run, and yeah. get the fresh air. Uh, yeah. And it, it kind of clears the head. And that 
probably is the reason you get so good at so much many good ideas which you then have to write down somehow <laughs> that's true yeah. it's true yeah i wouldn't be happy if i couldn't run for whatever reason i mean i talked to dave who broke his leg and couldn't run for weeks yeah. and months and things like that it's 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 not easy no. and i can never see myself replacing the running and become a volunteer for those events as so I, i'm probably never that person's going to a, a checkpoint or aid station and yeah you know see other people run yeah so i'd rather that, take off golfing or something else yeah. <laughs> or grass bowling <laughs> that kind of um follows on to the next question and that's how long do you think you'll run for in your life how long will running be a part of your life well one it's not a secret anymore but one goal i still have is yeah. i want to take i want to actually win a gold medal for the world masters games yeah. when i'm over 80 well i know that i have to be over 80 to win a medal because we <laughs> some of my friends we went to the masters game here in sydney when they were in 2009 and we ran the half marathon we ran the 10k in our yeah. age group obviously mm -hmm. and I saw those two over 80 guys shuffling along at the half marathon and obviously they won gold and silver. And I said to Philip, my friend said, well, one day that's going to be us. So that's actually the goal. We have to keep fit. <laughs> so wherever those masters games are going to be in 2041. <laughs> so we go on that start line and win the medal. That's the goal. So what about all those other um, 80 year olds that are coming up now? Well, well, there won't sorry. be many. Oh, well, oh yeah, really? you're right, actually. There might be more. There seems to be that. more. That's because I've had this. I'm just only pointing it out. Oh, I've you just spoiled it, Michelle. <laughs> I never thought I never thought about that. Because I've been thinking, you know, when I'm when I'm 80 and 90, I'll be doing very well yeah. <laughs> because everyone else will have dropped off. But there's more and more people running. That's true. <laughs> it's like... I never see, I never thought that far. And the more they start yeah. when they're older, they seem to be able to run longer. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. So when they start in their 40s and 50s, they guys seem to still be running in their they 80s. Keep going. It's, yeah. Yeah. So but yeah, that's my goal. So another 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love so. that. That's awesome. Me too. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> well, it gives us a, you know, gives us a goal. It gives us a goal. For. Yeah. yeah, there's no, no reason to get out of the house. There's no reason to stop really. And all the benefits of running just physically, you can get up the stairs without yeah. puffing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or at least yeah. not as much. Yeah. You don't realize yeah. until you have had a cold or some reason that you mm. can't run for yeah. even just a couple of weeks. Yeah. And you think, oh gosh, yeah. this moving through the world is a little bit challenging. Yeah. Gravity's yeah. playing some tricks on mm. me. <laughs> but That's it's right. usually just that you mm. haven't been for a run for a couple of weeks. Mm. So. Mm. Yes, I think we should just mm. keep running. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah. it seems like a funny question to ask after a story like yours, but how do you think running has improved your life? Well, comparing myself to my some of my colleagues or from school and stuff, mm -hmm. I think it has kept me fitter and healthier yeah. than if I wouldn't have been running, mm -hmm. especially in the uh, yeah. Uh, and also it makes makes you more or make me more able to focus yeah. and the discipline, you know, because you need that discipline to train for it, but yeah. also then to actually, uh, and I think my pain threshold is increased obviously as well, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and probably also even becoming more patient. I don't know if that the running does that, but it's definitely the, the discipline of, of focusing on having that goal and keep doing it. And I reckon if I would have had the same approach to my professional career, <laughs> I could have gone further somewhere else, but I did, I applied it for my running. Sounds like you're doing all right though, either way, <laughs> in both. <laughs> so um, do you like, I meant to ask this earlier, but do you prefer trail or road? Definitely trail now. I haven't been, apart from, from last Sunday when I was guiding uh, Francois on that Sandy Point half marathon on the road. Mm. I, even when I train here, I try as much as possible running on grass and trails okay. away from the roads, yeah. yeah. And that came with the time when I started running ultra marathons because a lot of those ultras were actually in the forests and on trails. Mm. 
uh, apart from comrades that would yeah. be the main ultra on on pavement but all the others were always in the nature yeah so no definitely definitely trail running yeah so what is it about nature do you think that you find wonderful when it comes to running well i mean i don't mind running in cities and discover new places but it's it's for me was the reason it's it's less impact on my bones and my knees yeah. start running in the grass you know yeah uh, than running on pavement it's just when you get older it really has an impact on your bones um definitely and then the noise i mean living where i live in sydney close mm. to the airport there's main roads it's hard to get away from that background noise yeah so it is nice when you can get into the national parks or, or along the foreshore the ocean yeah to run there uh, it helps with your you know to relax and clear your mind as well you don't have to pay attention to all those cyclists and cars and all that as well so you don't have far to go i assume where you live it doesn't seems to me in sydney having lived there that there seems to be you know little parks and things Look, everywhere <laughs> botany even so it looks very commercial and, and mm. uh, industrial but we can i can two case i mean in a real nice park which mm -hmm. then ends up in the botany national park yeah which then ends up along the golf courses along the, okay. the waterfront yeah. So I can do a 30k run where I maybe do five to seven k's on pavement, and the rest okay. is on on trails and grass. And, oh, lovely! Uh, even Anzac Parade, that road from La Perouse all the way into the city, has a median stripe which is all grass and trees. Yeah. You can run there. So you always find, you know, yeah. I always look for those places. Definitely, yeah. Sydney's quite good like that. I don't. I assume not all cities are like that, but I know Sydney's quite good for its green spaces. I think so, yeah. I mean, I have friends back in Switzerland, different uh, size, obviously, but they, you do 10 minutes with the car and you're in the forest. Yeah. Which is, yeah. you know, I miss this kind of thing. That would be nice to, to really be out there in the forest or in the mountains, no cars. Yeah. And it doesn't take that long to get there. Where here you have to drive to the Blue Mountains to be really away which from. Which can be quite a trip <laughs> from my memory, depending exactly. on the traffic. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Mind you, I've got that in Tassie, so I'm not really. <laughs> yeah, I can. Yeah, I Tasmania can would be a nice. The uh, yeah. <laughs> and even where where David lives, for example, that's obviously oh, yeah. ultimate running scene. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 it's Flinders totally Island. beautiful. It's beautiful, absolutely yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. All right. I've taken up so much of your time already, Marcus. That's all right. It's so fascinating. <laughs> but I would like to ask you before we go. If you have any tips for beginners, so if someone came to you and wanted to start running, how would you advise them? Start slow. Mm -hmm. That's definitely the main thing. And the most important thing I learned is after I got diagnosed with my meniscus injury is have at least three or four pairs of shoes oh. and swap them every day. If you run every day. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, the background story is I went to the physio afterwards with my meniscus issue and he said, well, bring your shoes and we have a look at your gait and all this. Mm -hmm. And I came with my running shoe pair mm -hmm. and he said, well, where are the other pairs? And I said, I only need one pair to run. I said, no, 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 no. You know, the way if you run 100 or 120 Ks a week, you need to have a pair every second day at least. Oh, wow. And that's what I did. I went back to the shop, bought three more pairs of exactly the same shoe and I never had that issue anymore with wow. uh, and I now actually have different different models I have hot car I have uh, I have balance I have uh, uh, s6 at the moment mm -hmm. so I swap actually also the model and the, so you never actually start having as the same guide and you start running the same you know in the same way yeah and end up with a hip injury or with a knee yeah. injury or with a foot injury. Because it's repetitive so, over the same. Exactly, spot. yeah. And so if you change your shoes, you run differently, Yeah. you know, that automatically. And that really was very, very helpful. And whenever I met some people and they have an injury, I tell them, well, how many shoes? And, <laughs> and people buy two or three shoes and they feel much better. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. I have yeah. to go out and buy some more shoes. <laughs> it, 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 if you run a lot, you know what I mean? If you only run every third day. Yeah. Also, 
a lot of those older models, they might have improved by now. I didn't really look into it anymore, but they used to have this gel, the cushioning yeah. gel. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you run 20Ks every day, Lots of impact. that gel is mm. hardened up so much that it doesn't actually loosen up anymore and give you yeah. that cushioning, so yeah. it becomes Lots useless. What's the but if you if you change your shoes, every shoe has also time to recover oh, from the that. impact. Yeah. Huh. So that that would be the tips: go slow, <laughs> build up slowly, and make sure you got the right number of shoes in your cabinet. I might um. That's going to be a very good argument to my husband about why I need to buy more running shoes. <laughs> I'm sure it'll work. Yeah. I'll say Marcus said. <laughs> you go okay. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Something yes. like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like yeah. I said, Marcus, it has been a delight to meet you on the podcast. Mm. Hopefully one day Pleasure we will is meet mine. as well. I hope so. Yeah, I hope uh, come I down to Tassie it would be for a run. I, I did start. Uh, yeah, in, in sorry, Dave always invited me for that Cambry, Cadbury Cadbury? thing. Yeah, yeah marathon Cadbury or marathon. something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, down in Hobart. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's supposed to be. I've never done it. It's near my birthday. Mm. And it's early January. Very, very warm. All <laughs> like, oh, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't know. I don't just the thought of running a marathon in near my birthday for chocolate doesn't quite do it for me. Anyway, in the heat. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I did actually run, I probably have been in a race with you because when we lived in Sydney, we did the city to surf, although I'd literally just had a baby. She was only about six weeks old or, or younger and we got to the 5k mark and there was a really nice cafe so my husband and I and one of the other kids went over and sat down and had a coffee and our mm. older son ran the rest of it with some friends of ours um, mostly because we'd sat down and looked and and uh, Elvis had run past us and mm. a lady mm. in a wedding dress and we thought mm. this is not going well so we had coffee and then we caught a taxi to the end and, and met yeah. up with our my son and <laughs> friends so i have to, i do need to go back and actually finish it finish a, the run. well hopefully next year we will have it again because it hasn't happened last yes, year yes so. of course yeah, yeah. and then, uh, then we might catch up with you then but anyway so i probably was in the start of the same race as you at one point maybe we all maybe you did that one mm. as well on, in the year 2000 hmm. anyway like i said massive thank you and hopefully we'll catch up and one of these uh, events in the next few years when COVID calms down. Um, yeah, thank you for being on. The it's podcast. a pleasure, Michelle. Really thank you for having me and happy feet. Stay yeah. safe. Thank you. I'm going to go mm. buy some more shoes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just stay on. Good I'll stop the recording and say goodbye to you off as well. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body podcast. I'd love to talk to you about your running journey. So send me a message on Facebook or on the website and let's do it. For a bunch of resources on mindful running that will help you get and stay mentally and physically fit, head over to the website fitmindfitbody.co and I'll see you there. Plus, I'll be back here in your podcast player a few times a week. Hit subscribe now so that you don't miss an episode. And before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review. It'll help more people to find the podcast and get inspired to start running. I'll see you soon. Bye.